Now, turn your Bibles, if you would, to the passage that Jeff read for us earlier. And that's Luke chapter 3. Would you turn there in your Bible? Luke chapter 3. If you want to use the Bible, it's near you. It's page 858. And we are continuing now this Sunday a series that we began in Advent, starting through this wonderful gospel, the gospel of Luke. And the front of your bulletin highlights a a new section in this journey that we're calling Behold the Man. Behold the Man, the focus of chapters 3 and 4 in the Gospel of Luke. Because you know, chapters 1 and 2 tell us about the testimony of the coming of Christ and his appearing as a baby. We were given last time we gathered around this passage in chapter 2, an insight into his childhood at the age of 12. But now we have these years that have passed from chapter 2 to chapter 3. 18 years have passed and now Jesus is about 30 years of age. And Luke, the historian that he is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes us back to the baby that introduced this gospel. That's the baby John. That's where Luke begins talking about the announcement and the arrival of the one who would go before the Messiah as his forerunner. He is known as John the Baptist. And now he appears out of those 30 years of silence. He arrives on the scene And his message is the message to prepare the way. Be prepared, be ready, prepare the way of the Lord. The last promise and message of the Old Testament was the Lord is coming. Prepare for him. And now comes this last prophet of the Old Testament. And he is the first prophet of the New Testament at the same time, heralding the arrival of the Son of God. And Jeff just read for us this passage that highlights his ministry. Now, what I want us to do is to look at this. Yes, it is an historical account, as we'll see, but it is filled with timeless, timeless truth. It is the Word of God, and the Word of God is timeless, right? For all times and seasons, And God has appointed it for this hour and for this moment in your life. You are not here by accident. You are here by appointment for this message from the Word of God. Now we're talking about appointments. And I want you to see here is God's appointed moment. When John arrives and begins his message, it is God's appointed moment. And notice how this moment is specifically defined. John, begin, John begins in verse 1. This Luke begins in verse 1, rather, to tell us when John began sharing this message. It is an appointed moment specifically defined. Look at verse 1. It's in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate is governor of Judea. 
Herod, the son of Herod the Great, is Tetrarch of Galilee. Philip, his brother, is the Tetrarch of the region of Arturea and Trachonitis. And Lysanias is the Tetrarch of Abilene. It's during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, can you be more exact than that? Why in the world is John doing this? Name after name after name of official after official after official. Because he wants the people who are going to read his gospel then and now forever to know this is not legend. This is not mythology. This is not something out of the past. The misty ages gone by that no one can qualify. No, this is human history. What happens with the message of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus is absolutely defined in the timeline of history. It's the farthest thing from legend and myth that you could imagine. Would you agree with that? However, everything about this moment, even though it's specifically defined, we're going to see that it's sovereignly determined. It's sovereignly determined. It's very specific. But God has planned this moment from eternity past. I love the way the Apostle Paul, 15 years before Luke, wrote about the timing of the coming of Jesus. About 15 years before Luke wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the churches of Galatia. It's called Galatians. And here is how he expressed the timing of the coming of the Son of God. He said in Galatians 4 verse 4, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son. That word sent forth is apostoleo. Like an apostle, his son was sent forth from his presence. When did it happen? In the fullness of time. The word fullness there is the word pleroma. And it means absolute fullness, complete fullness. If you were thinking about a container with liquid, one more drop would put it over the edge. Pleroma. When Jesus came... He was sent, and he was sent at the absolute perfect moment. Now, friends, I'm going to stop here for a moment and just make application to us. Because if we know that God is sovereign in his timing, and we know here on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that you are made and created in the image of God, then it is absolutely true of you that God specifically and sovereignly appointed you to live at this time. Your days are not accident. Your days are ordained. God wrote your days in his book before one of your days existed. Psalm 139 says, Your life is sovereignly ordained 
How many have heard of Esther? Queen Esther? You ought to read the book of Esther. It might be back there where some of those pages are stuck together in your Bible. Unstick them. Read the book of Esther. And you'll find some amazing things about the book of Esther. But you know what? The most amazing thing you might read in the book of Esther is something that you don't read in the book of Esther. There's a word missing in the book of Esther. There's a word that's never used in the book of Esther. You know what the word is? God. God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but God's all over the book. And he's all around the circumstances. The people of Israel were in bondage, the people of Judah, to the Persians. And the Persian king took as one of his wives the beautiful Jewish woman, Esther. And there was a plot to destroy the Jewish people. And Esther's uncle, Mordecai, challenged her with these words. He said, who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And what Uncle Mordecai was hinting was that he already knew the answer. Esther, you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. God has sovereignly placed you where you are for this time. And friends, I want you to know, you too have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Do not ask and think that what would have happened if I'd have been born in another time? It's okay to ask it or think that it would have been better for you that you'd been born in another time. This is the time that God has brought you into the kingdom. And sometimes we have to recognize that of just how sacred our time on earth is. Just a few days ago, on Thursday, we got up to our hometown in Newcastle, Indiana. And so Susan and myself, her sister Tony, Ruth, my daughter, my son-in-law, Ben, Stephen, my son, we're driving around in the van around Newcastle just to show some sights to them. And strangely enough, we ended up at Jack's Donuts. Can you imagine that? Don't know how that happened. Just strange. Think it was providential. But, but we went down the street where I was raised up and showed them a corner as we were going by 17th and C, 17th Street and C Avenue, right there where I was raised up. And there was a still a little walkway there where you can sit. And that's where I used to sit when I was a little boy. And I'd look all the way down 17th Street. And I would watch about a quarter after three for this tall, lanky guy with big strides and a lunch bucket swinging in his arms. And that was my dad. And I go running down to meet him because sometimes he'd have some good stuff in that lunch bucket for me. <laughs> but I was thinking of all the times I sat there at that corner. Can I tell you where you're sitting right now? Now you listen up right now. You are sitting right now at the intersection of time and eternity. You have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Your life matters. You live your life at the intersection of time and eternity. What a thought. What a thought. 
That's a God-appointed moment. It was for John, and he had a God-appointed message. That's the second thing I want you to see of this ministry of John. He had a God-appointed message. Now, if you look in verses 2 through 14, there's his message. There is the heart of the message of John the Baptist. It's recorded in verses 2 through 14. But notice, listen carefully, before he shared the message, before he shared the message and became the messenger, listen carefully, the message came to him. The message existed before the messenger. Verse 2 says, notice, look at it, the word of the Lord came to John. The word of the Lord came to John. What does this remind us of? It reminds us carefully to never forget our God, the God of heaven and earth, the only God there is, listen, is a speaking God. God speaks. He speaks. The word of the Lord came. God is a speaking God. He's self-revelatory, we could say. We couldn't know him if he did not speak to us. But he speaks. And this God who speaks doesn't mumble either. <laughs> He's a God who speaks clearly. Notice what it says. The word of the Lord came to John. It's interesting that term word there is not the term logos, which means the whole book or the whole revelation. The Bible is the logos of God. But this is the term rhema. The rhema of God came to John. What does rhema mean? A message from God. Not just the whole message, but a specific message was given to John to speak. And what was the specific message that he was to speak? Friends, listen carefully. It's a message of hope. A message of hope. What is in the message of hope? Look at verse 3. He proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He, he proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, that's hope. Get it out of your mind, church family, that the word repentance is a negative word. The word repentance is a word of hope. It's a word of hope. It means you can change because you can be changed because there's a God who changes people who turns people's lives around, that's hope, right? There's a word of hope here. And how does he turn our lives around? By the forgiveness of sins. God grants us repentance. We see that we're going the wrong way. Somehow, some way, you come to your senses and you say, this is no way to live. And I don't want to live this way anymore, God Help me, Jesus, help me, and you turn. That's a gift from God. It turns you from 
your sin and turns you to the Savior. That is the gift of God. That's forgiveness, friends. That's a word of hope. You know what that is? That's a word that means there's still time. And friends, that's the word of hope for all of us here. There's still time. There's still time for us to live for Christ. There's still time for us to reprioritize our lives. There's still time for us to do what we know we ought to do. There's still time for us to make a difference. There's still time. Friend, I don't know what time it is in your life. You don't know what time in my my life it is in my life. But I know what time it is in your life or my life. Listen, it's not quitting time. It's not quitting time. We need to decide that while we live, we really will live. That's what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, I resolve that while I live, I will truly live. There's still time. Now notice two things about a God-appointed message. What are the two things about a God-appointed message? Number one, it has spiritual, scriptural authority. It has scriptural authority. How do you know whether you ought to listen to a message that is supposed to be from God? How do you know? It has scriptural authority. Listen to John as his message is rooted in the Bible. Verse number four, as it is written, notice this, in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet. Do you hear the authority there? John's not saying you listen to me because I'm John the Baptist. Maybe you've heard about me. Maybe a few years ago you heard about what happened to my dad when he didn't believe in me. No. Why should people listen to him? Because he has a word. And this word is written in the book of the words of the prophet. It is the authority of scripture behind it. That's what gives it authority. Written words, the words of Scripture have authority. They mean something. And the words of Scripture confer authority. Why does John have authority? Yes, he has the Holy Spirit. But his authority is the Word of God. And people are to listen to him because what he's saying, he is saying the word of God. John's authority, he spoke for God, God's words. Friends, that is an authoritative message. It's the authority, not of the messenger, it's the authority of the message. That's the reason if you want to know what someone is saying to you has authority, you want to be listening for them to say, you know, the Bible says. It's written in the Bible. When you go get a book, you need to flip through the pages and look for scripture references. And make sure that what's being said is in alignment with the word of God. Why? Because that's authority. And they're words of hope. Why does he want them to listen? Verse number six. Listen to the hope that all flesh may see the what? Salvation of the Lord. 
Turn to the Lord. Repent. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. You will see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord wants you to see his salvation. It's not God's desire that you would see judgment. It's God's desire that you would see salvation in your lifetime. If you will turn to him, what he wants to show you is life, abundant life, and life eternal. And John is speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the salvation of the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 30. What did Simeon say as he held the little baby? Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace because I have seen with my own eyes your what? Salvation. Salvation's in Jesus. That's what John the Baptist was preaching. He's coming. God's appointed message has scriptural authority and it also has personal application. Personal application. It has authority and personal authority and application in all of our lives. That means God has an authoritative word for you. He has an authoritative word from me in his word, the Bible. It's a word for us personally. Now, you know, when I was growing up in Indiana, <laughs> when my mom would say, Sam, I'd say, well, mom's talking. If she said, Sam Lewis, I'd think, well, she's talking to me. But if I got all three of my names, Sam Lewis Polson, whoa, this is serious, okay? You better be moving toward where she is. Something's not right. Friend, listen, God has a message in his word for you, and he'll apply it to your heart. It has your name written on it. Personal application. An appointed message has personal application. And it has personal application for people who have spiritually, desperate spiritual condition. You see, what God's message is, is going to be filled with love and truthfulness. And those are not a contradiction. You know what some people say? Well, I don't know. His message just... It's, it's just all just harsh. It's just truth. Oh, I like his message, her message. It's just full of love. You know, God's message is love and truth. It's, it's love and truth. Why? Because God is love and God is truth. And when God speaks, he speaks in honesty. God's good and honest. And so he speaks with honesty. And this message is an honest message and here it is look at verse 7 John said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruits in keeping with repentance do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father I tell you God is able to make these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? Whoa. I guess John never took that course on seeker sensitivity. He must have missed that day in class. 
He, I guess he didn't read the, read the book, you know, the authoritative book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. guess he didn't read that. But he spoke words of hope and truth. And the truth is, these people in love, these people needed to know some things. What did they need to know? These three things. Number one, here's his message. Your self-righteousness is self-deception. You think, I'm righteous because Abraham is my father. He says your self-righteousness is self-deception. If you are trying to change your life and make yourself right with God, John says that's self-deception. How sad it is that millions of people in church this morning will leave their churches self-deceived that somehow they're coming to church and marking it off one more time on their calendar is going to change their life and destiny. It's self-deception. Self-deception. Your self-righteousness is self-deception. Second thing he said, examine the fruit of your religion. God does. He says, bring forth fruit in keeping room with repentance. You say that you have a religion, that you know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, then make sure the fruit of your religion gives evidence of that. You need to examine the fruit of your life and say, is this genuine fruit? Examine your life because God does. Here's the third thing that John said. Righteous people live righteous lives. Righteous people live righteous lives. What's that mean? Do righteous people live perfect lives? <laughs> Absolutely not. But righteous people live righteous lives. Friends, never, never be deceived. You will live out what you believe. You will live out what you are in here. You will. Righteous people, people who know God, desire and by God's grace live righteous lives. Now, you know what people would say about this kind of message today? You know what they say about this kind of preacher? Well, that kind of message was in a different time. That kind of message in a different time. Friends, this is a timeless message. This is for all time. God's message is timeless because God's message is part of himself. It is eternal. What God said through John the Baptist, he's saying now. You need to put out of your mind the idea... Wow, I'm glad John the Baptist got out of the way so a nice guy like Jesus could come along. We'll see a little bit about that later on. God's appointed message is true, it's loving, and it's effective. Verse 10, what shall we do? A personal question, what shall I do? Oh friend, there is the moment in someone's life. That's when, that's when the miracle has arrived. When a person wants to know 
from someone who has the answer from God. What does he want me to do? That's the moment. God's appointed message has personal application for spiritual, desperate spiritual conditions. There's hope, repentance to salvation. But also, it's a message, God's message is a message for definite personal situations. You see, God has a message not just for our condition, we're sinners in need of a Savior, and by God's grace, He's been provided in Christ, but we also have a message for our personal situations. Notice these people that came. He said, bring forth fruit of repentance. Verse 8, they asked the question, what shall we do? Well then, John began to answer the question, here's what you should do. And his message was positive, do this. And his message was negative, don't do that. He was Positive and negative. God's message is positive and negative. You could say it's positively negative. Notice what he said to the crowds. He said to the crowds, verse 11, Whoever has two tunics, let him share with the one who has none. Whoever has food, do the same thing. He's not talking about penance here. Something that you do to get God's favor He's saying you do this because the change has happened in your life. You are concerned about others. You share what God's given you with others in need. This is righteous living. A selfish life, a stingy life, is an unrighteous life. Share. Then the tax collectors came. Wow. You think they just showed up with Jesus. Oh no, there's a gang of them. Showed up for John the Baptist. They're hated by people. And they, they are hated because they're swindlers of the people. And they, what was, what's he want us to do? You know this incredible work of God is happening. The tax collectors have shown up. What does he want us to do? Verse 12. The tax collectors also came to be baptized. He said, they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. He didn't say, stop being a tax collector. There's nothing wrong with that, that profession. But don't be a swindler. Don't cheat people. Only take in what you're supposed to. Again, this is righteous living. The soldiers came. Verse 14. What shall we do? He said to them, Do not or literally stop extorting money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be content with your wages. See, negative, positive. Stop threatening people. Stop using your authority as a wedge. Stop using your position as a way to scare people. That's not righteous when you use your position and intimidate people. Be content with what has been given to you. You could summarize John's message this way. You want to hear it? Here it is. His message to people was this. Show your changed hearts by your changed lives. Show your changed hearts 
by your changed lives. Show that there truly has been a change in your heart by a change in the way you live your life. So my friend, the question for you today, has your faith changed your life? Has your faith changed your life? Friend, I want to tell you, if your faith has not changed your life, you need to change your faith. Because a faith that won't work here on earth is not going to work when you stand before God. A faith that was not powerful enough to change your life down here is not going to be powerful enough so that you will stand prepared before Almighty God. You say, are you teaching salvation, faith, and works? Are you, is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely not. I'm not teaching faith plus works, but I am teaching a faith that works. It works. Someone said, you know, you go to New York City, these street vendors have got these Rolexes. You can buy for $75. What a deal, right? And they're amazing to see. And so the question was, how do you know the difference between a real Rolex and a knockoff? How do you know the real one? Here's the answer. The real ones work. (laughs) They work. Real Christians aren't perfect, but their faith is working in their lives. What a moment. What a message. And then just this for your thoughts. What a messenger. What a messenger. God has an appointed moment. He has an appointed message. The message from his word. And God uses an appointed messenger. And that's what you have in verses 15 through 20. You have the qualities of a God-appointed messenger. The qualities of a God-appointed messenger. John showed that he was God-appointed by these qualities. Every God-appointed messenger will have these qualities. And now, friend, listen, if you're a Christian this morning, every one of you is a messenger. You are an ambassador for Christ. When you became a Christian, you became an ambassador for Jesus. You are his royal representative. You have a message as you understand that message from his word to share it with others, feasting on your own soul, but also sharing that manna of God's word with others. Now, what are the qualities of a God-ordained and appointed messenger? Here's three. Number one, a God-appointed messenger is Savior-exalting. Savior-exalting. John said that the Messiah is who he represented. And he said the Messiah is the source of of eternal life. The Messiah is the source of eternal life. Look at verse 16. He says, I'm baptizing you with water. I'm baptizing you as a a statement of your repentance. But the one who's coming after me 
who is greater than me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Notice, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But listen up, church. It's not the Holy Spirit who's baptizing. It's Jesus who's baptizing. The one who baptizes is Jesus. The means that he uses for baptism is the Holy Spirit and fire. It is the reality of the presence of God. Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit in my name. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are given a new heart that's been cleansed like fire and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Messiah can do that for you. He can give you eternal life. <laughs> That's what a God-appointed messenger does. He says that Jesus alone is the author of eternal life. And a God-appointed messenger also says that Jesus is not just the source of eternal life. He is also, listen carefully, church. He is the source of eternal judgment. The Bible says God has appointed all judgment to his son, Jesus. When you stand before God, you'll be standing before Jesus. He's the judge. What's going to happen figuratively at judgment? Here's what's going to happen. John the Baptist said, verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Talking about Messiah. He's going to clear his threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's using the illustration of a harvest. The wheat gathered. Farmers piling it up on a hill where the wind blows. They take their winnowing fork. And they throw the grain up into the air. And the wind blows the chaff away. And the heavier kernels of wheat come down. And they are stored in the barn. And the chaff is gathered up by the farmers. And it is burned in the fire. And John is taking that illustration. He's saying this is what Jesus is going to do. For those who believe in him. For those who trust in him. They at the judgment will be gathered into his barn. That is heaven. But those who do not receive him will be burned up with the unquenchable fire. That's a description of hell. My friend, this is the word from the Lord. This isn't the word of some sun-baked, half-crazed, hippie preacher. This is the word of the Lord. It is heaven or Hell and Jesus makes the decision based on what you have done with him. It's either the barn of heaven or it's the fire of hell for everyone. And the good news is, for God so loved you and me, he sent his son to endure our hell on the cross that we might experience heaven with him forever.
but he's the only way. That's the good news. A God-appointed messenger is Savior-exalting. And he's self-deprecating. That means he doesn't appreciate himself. He depreciates. What's the attitude? The attitude, I'm just a voice. He is the message. He must what? Increase. I must decrease. I must get out of the way, as our brother Jeff prayed earlier. I must get out of the way so that Jesus can be seen. That is a God-appointed messenger. A God-appointed messenger is not going to have eye disease. I, 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 I. Capital I. I think this. I'm going to tell you this. I experienced this. I've known this. I've, I want to suggest this. I have this insight for you. I've got this word. No, no, no. That's not a God-ordained, appointed preacher. He doesn't have eye disease. He has a J infatuation. He's in love with Jesus. And he's going to take a beeline to the cross and he's going to lift up Christ and the power of God as your great need and opportunity. That's a gospel messenger. And that's what we're to do. People come to you for counsel. What do you got to help them do? You got to help them get to Jesus. That's it. Have a word from the Lord. Give them some insight. But say, hey, Jesus is real. God's real. I know him. Jesus is real. I'll be glad to walk with you. I'm stumbling along. Let's fall down together after Jesus. That's counseling. And you can do that if you know the Lord. You don't have to be sent off to someone who's got all the answers There is only one answer for all of our great needs, and that is Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of God. You say, oh, that's simplistic, Sam. Well, it's just about as simple as this book, the God's Word. A God-appointed preacher, messenger, blog writer, influencer, See how with it I am? <laughs> Influencer, really. Is that, we've come to that. A real influencer that's worth a nickel wants to influence you toward Jesus Christ. Amen. A true appointed messenger is Savior exalting self-deprecating, and he sinned announcing. She sinned announcing. John was a gospel preacher. He declared salvation. Verse 18, it says, he shared the good news. (laughs) This is good news, folks. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? This is good news. Some of you have been sitting here all morning As if this is bad news. This is good news. God loves us. He's cared for us. He sent his son. This is good news. But friends, the good news is that God, 
God himself loves us and he's given Christ for us and he'll give us a life and we can live for him. This is good news. This is the best news there is. But a gospel minister, are you a messenger for Jesus Christ? Is this church a messenger for Jesus Christ? Are we messengers for Jesus Christ? If we are, we're going to share the good news, but we're also, with humility, going to denounce sin. John denounced sin. He denounced the sins in the people, and he denounced the sin in the palace. He denounced Herod's sin. See verse 19? Herod divorced his wife, Herod divorced his wife, and God's messenger denounced it. And Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias, and John the Baptist denounced it as an incestuous marriage. He denounced the sins of the people, and he denounced the sin of the palace. He didn't say there's one law for the common folk and another law for the kingly folk. John denounced the sins of the leader of the government. He denounced the moral sins of the leader of the government. That his life was wrong and that he was guilty before God. John would not be silent about sin. And yes, he counted the cost. John counted the cost and he decided God's word was priceless. And he decided that the truth was not for sale. And this valiant value system of John cost him his freedom. Yeah, you know what Herod did to him? He put him in jail and then he did something else. What? He took his head, he beheaded him. But I just think old John the Baptist's head was preaching even as it rolled away. And I'll tell you one thing I know. John the Baptist is dead. He's been dead 2,000 years, but he still speaks, right? He still speaks. He had already made his decision. He made the same decision that Queen Esther made. Do you remember what her decision was? She's going to have to go in and see the king. It was against the law. She was putting her life at risk. And what did she say? I've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. I've got to speak for the Lord. And if I what? Perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Let goods and kindred go. The mortal life also. God's the body they may, what, kill? God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? Song of Martin Luther King. From that incredible song of Martin Luther. Friends, listen. We have someone worth living for and we have someone worth dying for. But whether we live or we die, 
we are who? We are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray over us as a people. And I pray you give us grace and strength and mercy. Lord, I pray today that we'll recognize you've given us this appointed moment. You've given us an appointed message and we are your appointed messengers. May we be faithful and may we see what a privilege it is. Now God, come, I pray, and break down any barriers Break through any deception. And may we know that life and life now and all eternity is in Jesus Christ, who is worthy of praise, the one King eternal and immortal. He is the only wise God. And we love him. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.